Good evening. Welcome to this week's episode of Where Peter Is Live. I'm Rachel Amiri, your host, production editor at Where Peter Is. I'm joined by three lovely mothers um, for our episode on prophetic motherhood. Thank you for all who are joining us. Um, we're going to start off with a prayer and then we'll just introduce everybody. So, <laughs> um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Amen. Amen. So we chose Mary's prophetic prayer, the Magnificat, for our opening for this episode. So I'm joined by three lovely women. Um, we figured the week after Mother's Day and in Mike Lewis's absence that we would just kind of take over and have a mom <laughs> episode of the show. So I'm joined by Melinda Ribneck. Say hi. Hey. <laughs> and Teresa Zoe Williams. Hello. You're coming from Colorado. We were just talking yeah, about I'm this. coming from Colorado this evening. And Tabo Hall. Thanks for Hello. joining us again. And Tabo, you. you live in Georgia. We were just talking about where everyone is. We have like every time zone covered today. So, um, so let's start off by just kind of saying more about ourselves and kind of where we are in, I don't know, the motherhood journey. Not that we want to be too like cupcakey about this. Um, I don't know that I've ever actually talked much about my family. You know, Melinda, you joke about your like seven children and a bunny all the time. A bunny. <laughs> But I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I've been married for, I don't even know, 13 years now. And we have three children who are living and one baby who died um, two years ago, almost. Um, my oldest is turning 10 in a couple of weeks. And then I have a almost seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And I, right now, am just doing this WPI thing and reluctantly, like, COVID homeschooling, which... Um, my motherhood, like and my plan initially was I would like to be one of those like moms with a lot of kids who homeschools and, you know, joked about the 15 passenger van and stuff. And that just was not in the cards. And when my oldest was like three, we decided she needs to go to preschool because I can't do this. And I told God, like, if you want me to ever homeschool my children, you need to make it abundantly clear. And then he sent a global pandemic and virtual learning. And so I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to try. But they're going back to school in the fall. I am not a homeschooler. It is <laughs> over. <laughs> I'm like counting down the days. Yeah. Um, but I love my children and um, it has been one of the most humbling experiences of my life that like I have come up with ideas about what motherhood should be like and then those are totally not what reality like is or what the children God gave me require of me and so that's just what I'm learning right now is like oh oh yes patience and and gentleness and compassion those are what my kids are supposed to teach me okay so that's that's where i am right now <laughs> but 
Um, who else would like to kind of share your background and about your kids and more information for our audience about who you are? Tabo, do you want to go next? Sure. You're muted. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, so I am a wife. Um, we've been married 14 years and mother of five. We have a um, 13-year-old, 10-year-old, eight, six, and three-year-old. We are also COVID schooling. And um, yeah, I am not also cut out for homeschooling. <laughs> and um, we have said that, well, I have told them that um, I don't care if Ebola comes this side of the continent next year, that I will just <laughs> invest in hazmat suits and have a crucifix emblazoned on it and say go with god and go. so that will go with god that is what we will do um so there will not be at my house or i will not be at my house so while i love my children i am not called to that so um i i have nothing but respect and admiration for teachers too. So, um, but yes, I am here um, with them and it's probably been a little harder too because I'm a realtor. So I've been working from home with them. Um, and so, yes, it's been all of those things, but it has also been a time full of grace and, you know, the ability to be at home with them and to have these this time with them is also um, one full of, you know, like, like I said, God's grace and privilege and, you know, all of that. So I am grateful, internally grateful for this moment in time. All right, Teresa, would you like to share? Sure. Um, I'm Teresa. I've been Hi, Teresa. Hey. <laughs> I've been married for nine and a half years now. Um, and we have three kids, eight, seven, and 18 months today. Um, and we are also unwilling homeschoolers this year. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> A pandemic. <laughs> I know. Surprise. Um, we only homeschool the eight-year-old. And then the seven-year-old still goes to in-person school at our Catholic school, which has done a phenomenal job. Thank goodness, because I wouldn't be able to have all three of these people home again. Um, my husband, whose workstation you can see behind me, is working full-time from home. I work from home. Also, I'm a freelance writer and comedy podcaster. Um, <laughs> so, um, and having older children and a baby has kind of put me in a weird spot in motherhood, and there's no in-between children there. So, I've, and having kids in different places, like my kids don't even all go to the same place. We're not even schooling them all the same way. And it's really opened my heart and my eyes to how we're all individuals and how we need to provide for the specifics of an individual, not just a blanket for everybody in the family, because whatever, you know, like it would have been much easier for me to just send both of my children back to school this year. But the oldest one really needed this home time, this one-on-one -on -one time. And, um, and, and by that same token, the seven-year-old really needed to be in person this year. And it, uh, seeing them grow in these ways has taught me how to grow 
as a person, if that makes sense. Um, allowing myself to grow and my husband to grow in ways that we weren't allowing ourselves to before. But all of my children will be in school or daycare next year <laughs> because we have all had enough and we all need <laughs> we all need some outside socialization in outside people in our lives. And yeah. Um, we're glad to be winding down here. In fact, school in Colorado ends next week. So we've only got a week left to go. Thank God. Truly. So close. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. So am I next? Yes. Yes. You're next. Oh, I hate Come on, Melinda. Oh, yeah, I, I hate you. Come on. I hate like writing files. You're going to ask me my favorite color. Okay. So I'm Melinda. What's your favorite color? I have no idea. They're all great. <laughs> black. They're all great in their own such a black top. Right. The field of flowers would be so boring with one flower. Anyway, um, but I digress. So stupid Tubbo. Um, so I have seven kids and they are just smushed right together. They're seven and ten years, and they are all cereal. Um, so one after the other, right? Since the definition of cereal. I'm Not really bad at this. That's okay. Yes. So I, okay. So here's the deal. We're all so different, right? I actually like, so my kids have been home a lot for COVID, um, but they are back in person school now. Um, but I actually love like having them home, but where I like fail miserably is like actually doing work with them. So for the, for the betterment of their minds, it's definitely a good thing for them to be back in school because if it was just them at home, like we just spend the days hiking and, um, goofing off um but my husband is a pilot and so i do stay at home with the kids um and he he has gone for intervals at a time which does make my life very difficult so that's kind of you know probably the biggest struggle is just constantly doing a lot of this you know by myself um uh and then he's home and then when he comes home you get you know so distracted and like you just want to well, again, back to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drink champagne in the yard. Um, so, no, it's terrible. I always say I'll do things when he comes home. And then when he does come home, I just like, I zone out. But anyway, yeah, so that's kind of, um, for me, it just looks pretty hectic every single day because I am, you know, just here with all seven of them. And they range from, I don't know their exact ages as well as you guys off the cuff. <laughs> But they do oh, stop judging of. me. Stop judging me. But they do <laughs> range from two to like 13. So um yeah, so every day is very busy with them. And that's just life right now. I think one of the reasons why I hate writing bios is because I don't even have time to think about like what I even like anymore or like preferences and that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, but it is, it's a hectic, it's, it's a good life. Yeah. So. And we should probably say that Melinda and Tabo know each other. They're friends. Yeah. <laughs> so right. There's some crosstalk happening. Yes. That's and our relationship is built off of teasing each other. And that's why she's giving me the boo-boo face right now the whole time, because she's trying to play with me, but <laughs> we won't go there. So. <laughs> This yeah. is like a virtual coast to coast mom group, but yeah. yes. So yeah, today, 
Today is the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima and also Ascension Thursday. So Ascension, it just depends on where you are, what kind of trumps what. Um, but it's a Marian feast day, either way, kind of it's happening. So we kind of wanted to talk about Mary and Our Lady of Fatima is especially one of those apparitions of Mary that people kind of turn into this. It's a, about Mary's message and it's a message about you know, praying the rosary and modesty and just what Mary told these children to save them. Um, but it's not really like, for me, I've always kind of struggled with some of these apparitions of Mary or just kind of these versions of Mary as like just a messenger rather than as the blessed mother, as the Theotokos, the bearer of God into the world. Um, so I kind of wanted to open up by asking kind of what you guys think about the ways that we talk about Mary in the church, or maybe the ways that we're kind of socialized into our Catholic cultures to think about Mary that make it actually harder to kind of learn from her example or get to know her in prayer or just understand what Mary's significance is for our faith. Like what are some of those challenges that you've experienced? Well, that's a loaded question. It is. <laughs> Way to just get right out of the gate. Um, yeah. Well, hey, we can talk about the secrets of Adama, but I don't want to oh, do that. So wait. we're going to talk about yes. some other. No, some other. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about application. Okay. Yeah. You know. We'll go for it then. No, yeah. <laughs> Teresa, I feel like you were just about to tell us something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can start. Um. So. For me growing up, we don't really hear much about Mary other than at the Annunciation and the Nativity. And then there's a couple other little spots throughout the Gospels. And otherwise, she's just apparitions and praying hand statues. And that's how Mary is presented to us. And as a woman, it's set up in my mind. And I don't know, I don't know that this was like intentional um, of how she's presented or it just me. Um, but it set up this standard of everything. I mean, like from, from how you should pray from how she, how you should look, um, how you should act all of this. And we're only looking at these very small moments in Mary's bigger life um, and of course they're important for a reason, right? Um, but very docile, very, um, soft-spoken, very unopinionated, um, things like this. And I'm none of those things. <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know. Um, I'm a loud mouth. I have a lot of opinions. I like to play aggressive sports. <laughs> um, I was like the, in, in my mind, I was like the opposite of Mary, right? And so I had a very hard time connecting with her, even just as a person, let alone mother. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, gosh, I was in my early 20s before I made a shift. Like I noticed, oh, hey, wait, there's more to her. And she's been trying to tell me this, but because of the overarching way she's presented, I was missing it. 
So when I started listening, I got it. I mean, as much as a person can get it, I guess, um, little bits at a time. So my journey with Mary is kind of choppy, but she's, she has a thread there. I don't, I just kind of jumped in at one point and was, oh, right. You've been doing this this whole time. Um, but one thing I will say, I was very fortunate that, um, speaking of apparitions and all of that, the parish I grew up in, um, our, our patroness was Our Lady of Guadalupe, which, sorry, Our Lady of Fatima, but Our Lady of Guadalupe, like, trumps everything, every other apparition for me. <laughs> um, just in how she presents herself, she comes as a mother, right? But she doesn't back down from the hard things. She, you know, she came enculturated so that both the, the, um, native people and the Spanish people could understand, like, she brought them together and she didn't just sit there and and like fold her hands and pray and mm-hmm. everything's gonna be great no she got in there and she did it and um that that actually like reading into the history and the understanding of our lady of guadalupe is actually what kind of springboarded me into understanding mary even, even the Mary that's in the Gospels, like the Mary that we see in the Gospels is very different than just passive, docile, quiet, perfect little Mary. Yeah, quiet. I mean, she spoke. St. Joseph didn't speak at all. So, But even when you say like perfect little Mary, you know what I mean? Like our definition for what women should be when they're perfect. Like, again, maybe I'm going to project here because I am not you know, quiet and docile, I'm very loud and weird. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just that vocabulary, like even speak something like perfect, like, oh, that's how we feel like women should, you know, should be or whatever is, is soft, quiet, gentle with your, you know, hands folded in prayer and, um, not heard, but seen maybe kind of thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can tell it's still ingrained because I just used that vocabulary off the top of my head. Exactly. So, yeah, it's a. I think that's a huge problem because Mm -hmm. it's not. I mean, she is perfect, right? Like she's without sin. She chose perfection, right? But there, there it is. She chose it. Mm -hmm. She's active in this. She wasn't just full of grace. I mean, so were Adam and Eve, and they chose differently. Mary chose this way of perfection she is an active participant in every step of gosh of salvation history really um and like to to just reduce it to perfect little mary does her such a disservice and thus does us a disservice we miss so much of what god does for all of us when we reduce mary to just this statue i'm thinking of the song gentle woman right now (laughs) no i'm not gonna start hating on songs that's not my objective but it does you know like i remember being in catholic school and hearing the song i am not gonna sing it for you people um but gentle you know what tava why don't you sing it you have a lovely singing voice um (laughs) she does um anyway (laughs) gentle woman quiet light you know yeah like yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just not that she's large. not those things, but right? It's that she's more, and that those things are like byproducts of everything else 
that she is. But in the context it's, of our culture, too, it, what? Sorry, go ahead, Tom. It's that she's not only those things, right? Like, mm-hmm. and we were having this discussion earlier, you know, like as a mother, right? When I think of Mary, I could not necessarily always connect to her because when we talk about Mary's motherhood, it's always like this gentle, like you said, soft-spoken. She never raised her voice. She was always like this. Like, that's how I always imagined her, you know, like her clothes were never messy. She was always (laughs) perfect, you know, like, and I'm like, what in the world, right? Like, okay. Like, well, she's the mother of Jesus. I love her for that, but hmm. Okay. But I think as I started to grow and develop more and, you know, like contemplate things, I was like, is that really all that she was? You know what I mean? Like she was a living, breathing human being, right? Like, yes, she was, she chose good. She chose to do what was right. She chose, you know, like Christ in all things, but she was still human, right? And if she raised her voice, did that make her less than human? right? If her clothes were not tidy, did that make her less than perfect? You know what I mean? Like, and so like, or even the idea that we have all these statues of Mary, but very few of them picture her pregnant, like is the idea of her pregnant or her displayed in her humanity in that form, less of an less of her perfection, you know, like what does that mean for us as women? Do we see pregnancy as a less perfect state of womanhood? Like, what does that say for us? And so I think those are some of the things that we need to wrestle with, right? If we're going to be honest to, to Mary in her fullness, if we're going to be honest to women and And I think until we wrestle with those things, we're going to see some of the things that we see in our society, women struggling with some of the issues that we see, because it's not an authentic womanhood. It's not an authentic femininity, right? And in order to have that kind of authenticity, we're going to have to embrace femininity, womanhood, all of those things in its fullness, not just in these pretty tidy little pictures, you know? Like if another person or woman quotes to me Proverbs 31, I'm going to scream. Like, no, I'm not churning butter. I'm not making flax or whatever. Right. No, I'm not doing, I mean, it's cute. I guess I could do it every now and then, but who's doing that every day? Like none of us, right? Like, and if that's your idea of perfection, by all means, if that's what you want to do, do it. But is it realistic? Is that really what your idea of a perfect woman should be? And if it is, hooray, it's not mine. And if Christopher Hall is waiting for it, he's going to be waiting a while. <laughs> but what would you say, Tabo? Like, what would you say are some qualities of what, you know, femininity is? I think it's a lot of things. It's not one box. I think it's strength. I think it's quietness, it's gentleness, it's loudness, it's all the things in between, right? So if I saw some woman who was like an MMA fighter, I would say that can be femininity too. And if I saw somebody who was quiet and gentle and meek and mild, that's femininity too. Like it's not this box, right? Like we don't get to say that women can only look a certain way, right? That's not God, this is not a one size fits all, mm-hmm. right? We don't get to decide that. God in his wisdom, his grace and his beauty created all of us. So what we should be saying about femininity is what has God called you to? And whatever it is that God has called you to, if you are living according to that, then that is what femininity is for you, right? It's not yeah. about us. 
I think, and, and again, um, I'm not writing an article here, right? So, so I'm just talking in a conversation. So I, I don't know if I'm going to get some hate for this, but as this is just some ponderings, right? That I think sometimes like for me, I'm starting to see femininity as a way that women relate to human beings that somehow doesn't seem to be as innately like, um, um, in the makeup sometimes of how men relate to human beings. Right. And I know this can get into two, into some gender wars here, but it is, you know, even Pope Francis has spoken about this, um, in Amoris Leticia. Um, and I think I've seen some of his other writings too, that, that, and the church talks about this too, like women, somehow seem to, to see the humanity in people um, in ways that are unique to women, right? Um, I, I think, um, I don't know if like empathy, um, I, I don't know the words I'm looking for right now, so maybe I shouldn't have gone here, but I do feel like at the heart of it, when you look at um, social ills and that kind of thing, I think typically women do seem to... Um, throughout history, like balance, right? And finding the humanity in people that needs to be protected and safeguarded and valued, right? Um, we're less prone to violence, right? We know that. We know that with even like crime stats and that kind of thing, um, domestic abuse, all of that, we're, we're less prone to violence. And I, so I don't know, but in terms of like personality, I would agree with you, like Tabo, and that what we are defined womanhood by like that has nothing to do with personality you can be loud or quiet or um aggressive or not aggressive or all of those things and still or ambitious or not ambitious and still see it's about seeing the core of the human being that i find that women right, are right. especially gifted to do um and i think about sometimes the con the context of today's catholic world right where catholic media were world where you have so many Catholic mom bloggers who, and I'm not hating on this. I get it. There's a place for liturgical living. God bless you. Liturgical living moms who take such pretty pictures of your, of your liturgical crafts. I'm very happy for you. But what I do think sometimes is there is a culture where Catholic motherhood is defined by doing very um, aesthetic aesthetic things and bringing the beauty to the world, right? Um, and doing very like homey things, right? With their 10, 12 kids, which I'm not knocking that either. Um, and what I would love to see from some of these mom influencers sometimes is like, how are Catholic moms supposed to respond to the current world, which grossly devalues and dehumanizes other people because i think that's the real gift of women um some of us are craftier than others but the real gift of women is the ability to see the humanity and to not get caught up um and and these other driving forces i'm not, I'm not sure, sure if it was, was jt2 oh i have an echo i'm sorry <laughs> um i'm not sure if it was jp2 or someone else but they talked about how um, what women do is bring life into the world. And it's not just the physical mothers bringing new human beings into the world, but this act of spiritual maternity, which is bringing new life into the world and life through the Holy Spirit. And that enriching kind of understanding of 
um, the other as important and acknowledging the dignity of the person and bringing that to its fullness in the world. Um, and so I wonder if that's really what we see in Mary as she's, if we understand her as this woman rooted in prayer and profound trust in God, willing to bring life into the world through bringing us Jesus, if that's the example we need to follow, not all this kind of like tertiary stuff, like the way she dressed or we, the way we imagine she probably parented or, you know, how we think she spent her time. But if it's really that central activity of the life-giving essence of what it is to be a woman or a mother, um, if that's what we need to refocus on, because that's where I found the most richness myself in identifying with Mary is through my experience, experiences in my life that have brought me to recognize that. So in having children of my own um, and in losing a child, like those experiences are where I can see like what Mary went through and not just like emulate maybe how, what the end result I imagine looked like, but really identify with her experiences. So I wonder if this is a an area where it's really about women needing to share our lived experiences to break through some of the like baggage we have around the understandings of Catholic motherhood that are given to us by others who might not even be women. I wonder if it's just something we kind of need to reclaim. Well, I think you both of you just touched on really interesting and important things. Um, Melinda, when you said aesthetics, people who are obsessed with aesthetics. But um, Rachel, um, women are supremely creative. That's what we're talking about. Like to be able to create is to be able to bring to life, bring into life. Um, and that's written into, I mean, every fabric of our being like down to our DNA as women we are the gender that can bring forth life mm -hmm. um, and so being able to see like you're talking about the humanity and people like that's just I mean it just is because that's who we were created that's mm -hmm. the aspect of God that we were created to emulate and um Men can't see that way, or it takes a lot for them to be able to see that way because it's not written into the fabric of their being. It isn't who they're created to be in this world. And that's good. Mm -hmm. we need, we, obviously, we need both because, you know, you can't even create life if you don't have both. Um, but, like, our whole being, and we're body-soul composite, so, like, just because my body can do this doesn't necessarily mean that like I'm this way. So this is where like spiritual motherhood comes in and all of this. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. <laughs> um, and, I, and maybe because I'm a writer, maybe because that's my trade and um, I am writing an article kind of on what you were, were talking about Melinda, where it's not about the tertiary things. Like, am I funny or am I not funny? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, you know, am I quiet or am I loud, etc. Um, it's about what God has called me as a person to do and be, and how He has asked me as Teresa to create 
in this world. For mm-hmm. me, it happens to be very much um, through writing, and and that's a very obvious one. Mm-hmm. And through motherhood, because I do have those three regrets around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that makes so much sense because like our bodies and whether, you know, a woman becomes a, a biological mother or not, her body has been designed to bring life, right? That's not God's call for every woman. We know that. We know there are different forms of motherhood as well. But nonetheless, every woman's body has been made and body soul composite to bring life, right? In a way that a man's hasn't. Even I'm thinking of like, you know, from the start of a, of a, of a menstrual cycle, like even young girls know at a certain age that their bodies have been created for this. And I think um, while I kind of wish now we had uh, maybe a non-biological mother on to speak to this, so I really can't speak to everything of what um, what um, like a, a celibate or or a um, non-biological mother would you know be able to. But what I can say is that the more that my body has even like born life, right, and and raising my kids has definitely deepened my love for not just my child, but all children and all people. I mean, when your body bears flesh, right, and bears a soul, like it brings you to an intimate union of what a human being is. And I do think it's unfortunate. And I almost tweeted on Mother's Day that I think biological mothers have a lot to learn from spiritual mothers because It's unfortunate sometimes when you when you see biological mothers who don't regard other children or other people as as important or as dignified as they do their own. And I think the real um, heart of motherhood, right, is when you do see each person and each each human being, right, as if it is the life that you bore, right, whether you did or not. So for me, and I've been praying for this ever since, you know, my first was a baby. I can remember distinctly rocking him and feeling like overwhelmed with the amount of love that I, I didn't even know was possible that I have for this child. And I remember praying like, Lord, like, let me feel this way for every child, like for every human being, um, whether it's, you know, now I think about the most marginalized of society, the incarcerated, um, the poor, the the oppressed, all of that, like, let me feel that as if that is my own child. And so I think, you know, that motherhood, that physical body and soul, however it's lived, like in women, we are intimately tied to the humanity of people because we bear it. Tapo, what were you, I felt like you were going to say something. Well, you know, I have a, um, she's a second mom to me. um, And um, I call her Shotzi. She's German. And she is, she was never able to have biological children of her own. Um, And um, so I am like her child to her. And, um, but I think that longing, and I'm speaking for her in a sense, but that longing to have a child um, made her infinitely open, you know, like to accepting someone else's child that was not her own. And if you see her with us, like you would not, you know, like, I mean, you would know I'm not her own. I'm brown and she's white. But um, (laughs) when she introduces, like when we would you know, when we visited and stuff, she would introduce us like, this is my daughter and her, you know, husband, and these are my grandkids, you know, so obviously people are like, okay. But, um, but other than that, you know, like she has always, you know, like 
welcomed us as if I were her own, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so that goes to, I think, what you were saying about non-biological moms or that openness of women, you know, to just mm -hmm. accept, you know, others and um, other children as their own, even if they're not biologically that own, their own, right? That longing, that understanding that our bodies were made for this, even if we never enacted ourselves, right? Um, but that somehow we were made to nurture or create, right? Life in whatever expression we choose to do mm -hmm. that. Um, and so there is a great beauty to that, right? And I think it overflows into other aspects. So even for my daughters, right, who have never, um, because they're, you know, so young, they're unmarried, they've never had um, children yet. Um, and even for my child who is prepubescent, um, one of them who's prepubescent, like there's still just a difference to the way that she views the world. Like my girls, you know, like they, and I have been blessed to have both girls and boys. And when they walk into a room and assess the situation, like the boys are just like, oh, it's this and this, right? And my girls are like, okay, so this is the situation. How they, how do they feel? Where have they been? What are they thinking? Yeah. Like they have looked at like the 12 different aspects of the situation. Whereas my boys are like, uh, have they eaten? And do they want to play? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And my daughters are like, have they eaten? Do they want to play? You know, did they get a, did they rest last night? Have, what is their family like? Like, you know, like, are they on any medication? Have they, been, like, they're thinking of like all of the different potential things that could be like, you know, allergies in this moment, right? Like, and the boys are just like, what in the world, right? So there's just a different way that we approach the world. And that I think is the beauty and the genius of woman, right? Like mm -hmm. the fact that we don't just see things in black and white, that we see not like in the emotional. So I kind of get upset sometimes when I hear people downgrade, you know, the emotionality of women, right? Mm -hmm. As if it's a negative, right? When actually it's quite a beautiful thing. Right. That we we don't just see like the logical. We are logical beings. We see the logical. We see the rational. But we also see the emotional of it all. And those things combine, you know, together, give us a more full picture of a situation. And it shouldn't be downgraded or, you know, dismissed, but it should be celebrated. I think that emotion often helps draw us outside of ourselves too. And it sounds mm. to me like what we're touching on here are, you know, we've pushed up against some of the ideals in the church and in kind of Catholic perception of motherhood and how mothers or women should act. But there's also like, at least for like white Christian culture, there's like very specific expectations for how women and mothers should act. So we're coming up against like kind of both a, a societal expectation and maybe an expectation that we see in the church. And we're kind of charting a different course for how how women could understand their motherhood in a way that is like deeply lived and deeply felt, but also outward focused. And I know that Melinda, like you've talked about this before, maybe on live streams, and I know you've written about it, um, or you for the um, definitely like, tweeted this. about it, yeah. <laughs> but about kind of like the insularity that families can tend to, um, and I I see this too, like in that kind of like 
you know, white middle-class culture, you know, I was just selling a bunch of kid and baby clothes, like at this event today. And it's all about like, everyone wants to provide the best for their children. You know, we want to provide the best, like learning experience, extracurricular experience, the best products for our kids and the latest clothes and kind of maximize like our children's potential. And it can become very inward focused, yeah. but it needs to be, we need to be pushed out of our kind of our families need to be outward focused and so do we. So how do we do that? Like what are some ways that we're called to do that? I think one thing is is to like identify the pressure and then identify the error in the pressure. And I think a lot of this is going to be um for those who have been ingrained in this kind of culture like a cognitive exercise. And when you feel like certain thoughts and feelings that you should do this, remembering like the truth of identifying where that comes from. And so um, to not be vague, yes, like in the secular, in secular terms, there's a huge pressure on parenthood um, to make sure, um, you know, that your kid has the best of everything that it's catered to. But that, it, it, and it's funny because you'll see Catholic circles, particularly um, more tratty kind of Catholic circles, like talk about one or two kid families in the secular world. No, you don't have to give your kids everything to be open to life, to have more kids. It's not all money. And yet you kind of see the same thing with a different face. And in a lot of these trad circles, which is the mother, particularly the mother, her whole life must revolve around homeschooling the kids, making them the most organic food possible, making sure that their life is as balanced as it can be, like all of these things. And it, it's this idea that um, especially with young girls in these 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 circles, they grow up and they think the only way for me to achieve holiness besides entering a convent is to have a family and to make my entire life around this family, right? Um, because that's what God wants for me. God wants me to have children and that's how I'm supposed to be holy is by making sure that these children grow up and they, you know, they become, you know, this kind of um, Catholic, holy, ideal family, which is so nuclear um, in, in, this, in this Western culture, right? And so these women, um, they get in these circles and, and they're, they're so um, fixated on making the proper meals and homeschooling the kids and all of that. But the trap becomes, what are you really teaching your kids anyway? You're still teaching them that the world and that you revolve around them, right? Your whole life revolves around this nuclear family. Um, and so one thing that, because I I live in this culture too, I feel those temptations coming at me all the time, you know, to, to constantly fixate on them. Um, but the thing that when I can when I feel called to do things outside the home, right? When I have to devote my attention to other people who need things outside my own family, right? One thing that I also find myself saying is, Lord, I can't get to this right now, right? I can't do these things. And this may be like even over like weeks or a month. I'm not talking about a singular thing. I need to shift my focus to these problems that need attention right now, right? One thing I've told myself is to allow the Lord to make up for the things that I feel like I can't do for them, right? And we're not talking abuse. Let's not, let's just like throw all that out. We're not talking about abuse and neglect here. So when you can't, the idea is, is that 
the way God often refines people anyway is through trial and sufferings and not getting what you want all the time, right? So if I feel like the Lord is calling me to help with another problem outside the home, right? Then I should address that problem. I should I should even encourage, if it's possible, whatever it is, the kids to go and to help with those, whatever it is. But the point is, is that the attention is not always on the kids and they have to learn that there are other things outside of our home that cause us that, that cause us to act. So my kids do attend different protests. Uh, they've been to BLM protests. They've been to pro-life protests. All of these things, they know there are problems. They, we feed the homeless together. Um, and we are also to just people who occur into your life. Because, and I just want to say this before I give you guys a chance to respond too. This is going to sound harsh, but I'm going to be clear. It is incredibly selfish to live a life fixated on you and your kids and your husband alone. It is a selfishness. And in the Catholic world, that is often idealized, but it is not. It's an idolization that breeds selfishness among you, among your children, and among your husband. To, to only Because your children are your flesh. It's so easy to love them. It's so easy to give them what they need. But there's a greater world beyond them, and you don't do your children any services or your family. Tubbo, you over there drinking your <laughs> at that. You don't do your children or your family any services by not by not allowing them to get beyond themselves and see the world that needs us to to bring Christ to it, to bring truth, to bring love, to bring joy. All these things we must bring to the world because otherwise, what is the point? So you can raise you and your own to do what? So anyway, that's my spiel. I'm getting excited about it. But it's just, I can really go on about this because it is a real thing. And I think it is a very toxic thing in our families. And I think it needs addressing. And it really, yeah. So anyway, anyone else want to? Yeah. So actually, we're talking about Mary. She raised her only child to go out into the world and to be what the world needed Needed. she is our model of motherhood and womanhood that is what we should be doing and raising our families to do so it's not just solving problems either like feeding the homeless these very good things my family does these too but also like mom needs other people so i i'm part of a a local mom's group because i need connection with Mm -hmm. others and i need to give support to others as well um, it's also, if if you follow me on social media, you've seen that I've recently been accepted into two writing programs through UCLA's School of Theater, Film, and Television, and because this is what God has asked me to do, and I mean, I'm 35, and I'm finally, finally heeding his call, and there are a lot of other things, and things that, timing is a weird thing, timing is a construct. Um, I mean, I mean, I've talked about this where I've I've felt this call since I was four. That's 21 years of life now, almost, almost 22. Um, And I'm finally at a place where I can go out and, and follow this call that God has put on my heart. And it's extremely important for my children. I have two daughters and a son right in the middle. Um, It's extremely important for them to see me trying Mm -hmm. to see me living out virtues and and gifts and And talents yes exactly like we need to we're all given these different things and we need to use them 
for the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean like I have to go work in a parish and Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean I need to publish only very explicitly Catholic books, mm-hmm. even though I'm working on one right now. Like, but my novel isn't, so I'm working on two books. Um, and my novel isn't explicitly Catholic at all. J.R.R. Tolkien's wasn't either. Um, you know, like we live Catholicism. If like Catholicism just means Christ, God in His triune being lived through us you know it doesn't we don't have to be explicit about it Mm. It, well because the virtues fabric of everything god created it Mm. so he's already there we just need to reflect it reflect him Um, yeah i think it's important to what you know piggybacking on what you guys were saying and what melinda was saying i think that um the you know like i think when the christ said go out and make disciples of many nations right i think when we see um this kind of like um insular like me and mine my family the kids and all that um it's out of this idea that we have to protect our children we have to you know mm-hmm. like make sure that the world doesn't get them and all of these things. And, you know, I had a friend once, you know, just said, you know, like, we're just so different. You know, my husband and I, we just don't believe in throwing our kids to the wolves, you know? And I was like, oh, well, you know, Chris and I, we just believe the wolves are hungry and they need to eat, you know, like, you know, girl, you just gotta laugh at times because I mean, what do you say to a comment like that? You know, like what? You know, like, and it's not that people who don't act in this way believe that their children should just be thrown to the wolves. That's not it at all. It's that, you know, we understand that God has, I, well, at least Chris and I have always understood that God has a plan for our children's life, you know, and that we have prayed from the very beginning that you have given these kids to us and we give them back to you and we do our best to pour into them, you know, the faith and to give them a solid foundation. And then we give them back to God and we tell them that they have a responsibility to the world that they, that they live in, you know? And, um, and so we tell them also that our responsibility is not just to them, but to the world that they live in and that we have to make sure that we are meeting the needs of others as well, not just them, but, you know, those immediately around us and those in the wild, wider world mm-hmm. um, at um, at large. And so as such, they bear responsibility in that as well. And um, I think the more we have these discussing, discussions with our children, the more we talk about these things, you know, it doesn't seem so scary or such a big deal or whatever. It becomes more natural. Um, and one of my favorite quotes from, I think it was Pope Francis, is that, you know, when he said, I prefer a church that is bruised and broken, you know, or bruised and dirty because it is out in the streets than one that is pristine and pretty because it's in an ivory tower. And I think we're so used, we've become so used to that ivory tower. Um, we've wrapped ourselves in doctrine and theology and the pretty, you know, pristine church, and we've forgotten you know, that the body of Christ is hurting and in need and that we are the church and that we are the hands and feet of Christ and we are his heart and we are commanded to go out. 
You know, like we're not, God didn't ask us to protect the church, right? He asked us to go out and bring his good news to those in need. And um, when we stand before him, he's not going to look at us and say, oh, you took my light and you kept it for yours. You know, great job. You know, he's going to be like, how did you let my light shine? And how did you show it to others? You know, like, and by showing it, I mean, live it. And so that's, that's the hard part, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's hard for motherhood. Like, how do we do that? How do we effectively, you know, love our children and give them, you know, the ability to live that to, you know, like, and how, but we have to live that we have to model that for them. Um, but like you were saying too, Teresa, you know, like going out and being in the world, not of it, but in it, I think we forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's important. You know, like, and motherhood doesn't mean that you can't be in the world. You can't have a career. You can't, you know, have a job. You can't do those things. It doesn't mean that you have to just be in the home. And you run into that in those circles at times, too, because I had a father tell me that he was not going to pay for his daughter's educations because why do they need an education you know, like the only that thing that is so common, and it's even the idea is even that women should not go to college because then the husband has to inherit the debt, and that's not even Catholic because no, Catholics no, have been educating women for centuries. No, legitimately, he said that. He said, oh, I mean, why would I pay for that? Because there's no need for them to be educated because all they have to do is stay at home and take care of their families, as if an educated wife is oh. still not better, you know, it's still not a good, or, you know what I mean? What like, like, what in the world? Education yeah. is, is a utility. It's for shape life. Oh, that makes no sense. Right. So, I want to go back to what you were saying um, really struck me, especially about kind of letting go. Like, that's something that I think is so integral to motherhood. And like motherhood is a process of bringing a child into the world and like letting them go gradually. Mm-hmm. Like that is what it is to be a mother. And the church is our mother. So it's like the church needs to learn something from actual like physical mothers here and our experiences of, you know, we know how to bring our children out and let them go into the world, not in a protective way, but in an enabling, mm-hmm. like a, a supportive way. But that is, that's, what we have to surrender to is this process of like trusting in God's providence is actually trusting that God has a plan for every person, for our children, even if we don't understand it, even if it doesn't look how we expected it to or how we want it to right now. But that letting go like movement is what we have to do. And it's what the church also needs to do for everyone. Um, And it's exactly what Mary did too. Like the the prophecy of Simeon, like she knew, she, she knew like what was going to be happened. And she, you know, and I was telling Tabo this earlier today, like there's times where, you know, like um, to even use like my babies when they're little, I'll rock them and I'll know that in order for them to give of themselves, which is the point to give of themselves, that they'll undergo sufferings. And this is another thing that I would say to moms. Do these cognitive exercises with yourself. I would look at them rocking them and your heart hurts ever thinking about them being in pain. But you have to tell yourself like whatever it is that this child as they grow needs to do to give of themselves to bring life into the world, to bring love into the world, even if it causes suffering, like 
allow it. Start getting yourself used to those ideas. Don't stand in the way. Like, allow that. Now, of course, we definitely, you know, we're not talking about situations where we simply don't care about the sufferings of our children. But we know that this is going to be necessary because to love is to give up oneself, not out of excess, but a love that costs. And so when we're raising these children, it must be to learn to teach them to love in ways that cost and that inevitably will come with suffering. And we have to allow ourselves. And I want to say to to piggyback quickly on Tabo's point too about the protectiveness. What I hear in these circles most is as, as if the world is forsaken already and has no hope. So the only thing they can do, the only thing good Catholic mothers and good Catholics can do is to breed more children and to insulate themselves from a forsaken world, but that is antithetical to the gospel. That is not how, that is not what our faith teaches. It is true that we should raise solid, you know, Christian Catholic children. That is true. But the point is to go and share the good news with the world, to go and bring love into the world. That is the point. Not to forget to, to give up on the world as if the only way is to create your own. It's a selfishness. Right. Oh, I don't want to cost my children. So let me just create some more. And maybe they'll create some grandchildren. And meanwhile, the world suffers. So and it's a fallacy because if we read the Desert Fathers, right, <laughs> who fled into the desert to avoid sin, that's right, right, and then would Where later say, the right, there that which we fled, yeah, we found yeah. with, amen, us, right, was there because it was within yeah. us, right. And I think to talk about what Melinda just said about suffering. Like then we come back to Mary, right? Which then when we shortchange the fullness of Mary, we lose some of the beauty of Mary, right? Because this was Mary who knew, right? Because scripture tells us that she knew the angel revealed things to her and she kept those things within her heart, right? Mm -hmm. Who knew who her son was, right? And what would happen, right? And yet she was raising and loving this child that she knew would eventually have to die, right? So imagine this love of this mother as she is holding her child and rocking him and loving him and all of those momentous moments of watching this child grow and, you know, his first steps and words and all these things that every normal mother experiences. Now imagine those moments like now, like to the umph degree with being tinged with the idea or knowledge of what was to come, but just having the grace and the normity, right? The present, normity of presence, right? To raise him still with that kind of love that enables her, right? To set him on the path, right? That would eventually lead to the very thing that would break her heart, right? Like, mm -hmm. and all for us who would, you know, like, not even appreciate it, right? Mm -hmm. And being surrounded by the apostles who would reject him and do all the silly things they would do. She knew all of that, right? And yet chose him over and over again, chose God over and over again. And there's such a richness there and such a fullness. And to reduce her to just Mary, meek and mild, right? Does such a disservice to her mm -hmm. and robs us of the fullness that we could be getting from her. And it's not even just that she was perfect throughout this whole time either. Like she struggled with the details. Like, when Jesus was last in the temple and she said, what, don't you know that this caused me pain? 
Right. You know, she said to the son of God, yeah. don't you know that you just caused me pain? <laughs> like, right. Then he, with love, then went back and said, don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Yes. Yes, I do. It's all mm-hmm. it, right. She just embodies everything. Like we can struggle. We're allowed to struggle. Amen. And there's such beauty in that mm-hmm. because we have to continually re-entrust ourselves, ourselves and our kids and whatever, you know, whatever work we do. Um, and then when he's fully grown, because she's had these struggles and these experiences and she knows at the wedding of Cana, she was able to say, do something for these people. And he reminded her, you know, this, are you sure? Like my time is going to start then. And she didn't even, she didn't even respond to him. She just turned to the others and said, do whatever he tells you. Knowing that it sets him on that path. She knew it was time. She trusted fully because she, been there every step of the way and confronted her own struggles and overcame them because she trusted again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a mother, for me, and as a creator and as just a person in the world, that's that's what strikes me most about Mary, that it's not that I have to be perfect. It's that I have to just trust again and again and again and again no matter no matter how many times that takes no matter what directions it takes me after that just again and again you, you get back up you trust and and then you can do these things in the world um and be who god has created you to be in the world um and in the time that you were made for like calling on some of our our great female saints right um and and i mean we can even look in the new testament for these examples of women who were in the world and weren't necessarily out there preaching but enabled the word of god to spread and the joy of christ to spread because they were being who they were supposed to be in the world whether that's selling you know, dyed purple goods or, or whatever else it is. Some of these women were, had money too. They they were business people too. And they enabled Paul to go out Mm -hmm. and they provided for Paul and for the others. And um, because they trusted, because they Mm -hmm. took that example and they trusted. And for me, that's what it boils down to. Do we trust him? Sometimes, (laughs) Sometimes, that's <laughs> a big question. Right? <laughs> right. It's something that we have to confront again and again. Um, and and I think that's where we can look to Mary's example of trust. It's not. I think sometimes we, in our minds, think like, okay, to trust God or like to offer it up means like I'm gonna push away like any emotions that are like kind of unsure or worried or anxious, and I'm gonna just assume everything's going to work out great. But Mary, she simply trusted and we know that she trusted by her presence. Like she was at the foot of the cross. We don't know that she was silent at the foot of the cross, like just watching. She was 
I imagine Mary's just like weeping and like wailing. There were wailing women, you know, this, this is the Jewish tradition for wailing women to mourn loudly. Like she could have been kind of just distraught um, at the foot of the cross. And we can do that. We can actively trust in God and bring God every part of us, every struggle and every broken part and every part that's not sure what's coming next and know that like that is okay that is that is catholic motherhood that is part of this this is not like on a pedestal this is the reality of witnessing to god that we trust him and we're here and it might be hard but we're trusting um there was something too that struck me about what you said tabo um about you know mary's like accepting um that jesus as her child accepted that along the way she would be giving him up to adulthood to, to death. And um, it reminded me of this really great book that I recommend to everyone that I read a couple of years ago by Carol Hauslander. Um, it's kind of like having a moment now, but um, it's called the read of God. And she was a early 20th century, like single Catholic laywoman in Britain, like during world war two period, but it's about Mary and her like experience. And she said that when Mary accepted this beautiful baby into her hands, she also accepted the embalmed body of her son, like that she accepted both when she opened her hands to God and said, yes, let it be done to me. So I would recommend everyone who wants to learn more about Mary and just kind of bond with on this level that we've been talking about, like, the the level of experience to look that book up. I know that there's different writing and speaking about that lately, but it's it's a really good work. So we're over an hour now, but Tabo, you wanna say one last thing and then we'll we'll wrap up. Now. No, I wanna know. Tabo say I wanna know now. Yeah. You were No, you were I yeah. well I was gonna say something, but I just didn't want to open it up some more since we're over time. But um, it. <laughs> um, I was gonna say because I think it was something we were gonna touch on, but we didn't quite get to. I do want to say that you know when we were talking about motherhood and Mary and all that. One of the things I wanted to say was just that it looks different for everybody, you know. Like, and I think um, we often get in trouble because we try to make everybody fit into one image of it mm-hmm. right and so if we just allowed everybody right their own lane right to kind of work it out for themselves and allow each person to kind of do their thing we would all be in a better place right mm-hmm. so and i was you know saying that because of some of the kind of like hoopla that's been going on recently with you know certain articles and different things like that but if we just allowed everybody to kind of say hey this works for me and this works for me or this works for me that's fine like just because it worked for one person in this way doesn't mean that it invalidates the way it worked for you or you understand what i'm saying like mm-hmm. i and i'm pers- i don't feel like just because somebody says hey i really loved doing it this way that they necessarily have to say but it's okay if you did it this way like mm-hmm. we should all be able to be adult enough about it to understand that just because someone is saying i loved that i did it this way that is not necessarily invalidating the way that i did it and we can still rejoice with that person in the way mm-hmm. that they did something 
right? Without feeling challenged or threatened in our walk. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Amen to that. I what's great about being like a more mature mom, like past the kind of mommy wars stuff, yeah. like early on, is that you're able to be like, it is great that that worked for you. And I am so happy for you. Like that is just yeah. well, I think being mature. The issue is, is that again, when we're mothers, right? We're trying to raise these children to bring the love of Christ into the world, right? In a real way. That is the point. Now, everything else, like Tabo was saying, how we get there, how we run our families, what our families even look like, that it looks so different. And that's because our God is very creative and, and we're all unique and our families are unique and how that works is unique. Um, but I do think sometimes when we get too set on one way, like families have to look this way or motherhood has to look this way, I think it's almost an offense against the creativity of God. That it's not about the uniqueness of how he made each of us unique and works uniquely in our lives, right? So I do think, I think that's a really cool way to end because for a while, you know, we're trying to go through these things and talk about like some universal truths of motherhood, right? But, and even back in the beginning of the podcast, when we were talking about like um, universal truths of women, of women, right? Um, the basics of like finding the dignity in the people and, and, and human beings. Like if we can get away from trying to think that other things such as personality or the way we parent or the way our families are structured, if we can get away from thinking that those are what define womanhood and motherhood and even Mary, right? Or perceptions of her, then we can get into what the heart of those things, which is how to infuse the love of God, infuse life into the world and what that looks like for women. Um, and, and, and not get distracted with worrying over the specifics of personality or details. I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Cabo and Teresa, for joining us. And Melinda, yeah, thanks for wrapping it up Follow. this time with the bow for us. Um, well, if if our viewers enjoy this episode, please share it from your feed so other people can find it. Um, if you're listening in the future on the podcast, please make sure you're subscribed to our Where Peter Is feed. You'll have both WPI Live episodes um, after they're recorded and Critical Catholic episodes will appear in your feed together. And if you support what we're doing here at WPI, if you would go um, and consider becoming a patron on Patreon, we would really appreciate it. But we will be back next week. Hopefully, Mike Lewis will be back with us then, too. Um, but until then, have a great weekend, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.